Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Thank you guys so much for listening. Today, I'm sitting down with Laura House. And Laura is a really amazing woman. She has a background in social work and um, and just that whole kind of like clinical mental health area. But she also has a passion for the local church. And so she has created an organization called Hope Made Strong that specifically focuses on equipping local churches to better care for the mental well-being of their congregants. I just think it's brilliant. And she had me speak at her mental, uh, it's called the Mental Health Church Summit, I believe. And so that's kind of how we got connected. I saw what she was doing and she was kind enough to take some time out of her day and share a little bit about the vision God's given her, why she's so passionate about this stuff. And then we get into some really practical strategies for how to have healthy, um, a healthy mind, you know, in 2023, like we know that the rates of mental illness are up. We know the awareness of it is, is higher than it's ever been. And we know that we need resources and tools to help with that. And so whether you're dealing with depression or anxiety, maybe something a little bit more severe and intense on the spectrum, uh, obviously, if you're dealing with a porn addiction, all of this kind of gets nestled, nestled, nested under the umbrella of mental illness. And what we talk about today is going to give you some insights into why the church has not been great helping in this area, but also what you guys can uh, can be doing in your lives on a regular basis to ensure that you're getting the help you need and that you're building good mental health. So this was uh, very rich. It was really practical and um, and really um, yeah, just really tactical as well. And so I know you're going to benefit from it. I just encourage you pay careful attention, uh, listen closely to what Laura says. There's a lot of wisdom in it. And uh, without further ado, here is my interview with Laura Howe. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Well, I'm here with Laura Howe, a fellow Ontarian, not just a fellow Canadian, a fellow Ontarian. (laughs) So good to have you on the podcast here, Laura. Thanks for joining us. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So you and I got connected because we're both very passionate about mental health and Mm -hmm. specifically improving mental health in the church and in a church context. Um, So I'm really excited for people to just learn more about what you're doing, some of the stuff you're learning and how you're making a difference in the church at large. But I would love to just start with your own story. Mm -hmm. And I don't know a ton about it, but I do know that most people don't get into these kinds of spaces without their own experience, whether it's directly or maybe through a loved one. How did you become passionate about mental health? Well, I think that's true is while I was growing up as, you know, a Christian in a very traditional home, I, you know, my options were I was either going to be a teacher, a nurse, a missionary, or a helper (laughs) of some sort as a woman, which is always kind of confusing uh, for someone who is entrepreneurial and and adventurous like myself. But I found myself in the role of a social worker, both because in my family, there's this history of mental illness, um, 
as well as I always struggled like I didn't fit and Mm. didn't belong in spaces. I think it was because I'm a little bit atypical as far as my interests and passions. And, and so I understood and empathized with people who just didn't see, were different and didn't seem to fit. And so I started, I went to school for social work and graduated and then worked in uh, a local community health agency and addictions and crisis center for about Mm. 15 years. Wow. Okay. Very cool. So you mentioned there's a history of uh, mental illness in your family. What kind of mental illnesses, if you don't mind mm-hmm. me asking? Um, we're not a hundred percent sure. It's a drug-induced psychosis, is what we believe. Um, but also, but I think there's some schizophrenia there, depression, anxiety. Um, I think everyone experiences mental health in some capacity. It's just to what level or to how it's described to mental health professionals. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't always a diagnosis, but I think what is familiar to so many people is you know that something is off you know that this person is not themselves or they struggle with relationships or they struggle in high pressure situations and their response does not match what other people's response are. And so I think that is more familiar to my story where I knew something was off. I knew, um, my family members may not have been, weren't responding the same way as maybe my friend's parents or my friend's siblings were. And so it was like, okay, there's something here. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you kind of got started in, I would say in a day when like, people were certainly warming up to the idea of Mm -hmm. like, okay, mental illness is a thing, people need help, therapy is actually good, like you're not terribly (laughs) messed up if you go see a therapist or a social worker. But I would, at least in my perspective, things are on a completely different level now, even just in the last five, seven years. Uh, We're recording this in 2023. So we're kind of in the I guess the wake of the pandemic, you could say like the pandemic is over, but certainly there are tons of ripples Mm -hmm. from that thing. And I would say probably top of the list is mental health and mental illness. What what is your perspective like from when you started to now, is mental illness more prevalent and are there any particular illnesses that are especially notable? Mm. It's a great question because there has been a significant change. So when I first started 15, well, now it's 17, 18 years ago, um, working in the clinic, there was, we only saw people who were very serious and persistent mental health. But now the people that would walk into the, to the clinic or to the looking for supports are executives, our teenagers, our, Hmm. our moms and dads, our people who we would work alongside with. And so I think, I don't know if it's the prevalence has gone up or the acceptance or the or the more you're more likely to reach out for help because it's not as stigmatized when I uh, transitioned from being a clinician to hope made strong is when I started really seeing in my church the the challenges that I what I was seeing in the community or the needs in the community were not necessarily being met in the church or even talked about in the church and the conflict between having one foot in that world and, you know, in the church world and one foot in the community world was really, really challenging. Hmm. And, um, at that point in time, I, uh, I went through a series, a, a time period or a season of pretty serious burnout um, and compassion fatigue. So hmm. those stories that I was hearing day in and day out were impacting my own well-being and my own mental health. 
And that I had to take a couple months off of work. I, you know, reached out and got therapy and got supports and spoke with doctors. And, and it was a pretty, it was a very hard season. It was a Mm. very hard season. And, but in that season, I saw my colleagues or in, and those, my friends and family who worked in the church through a different lens that, oh my goodness, they are frontline workers too. Hmm. They are being exposed to suffering and sadness. They are being on call all the time for people to seek, you know, help and support. And they had no respite or, or, or debriefing opportunities or Hmm. um, ways to seek out counseling. And so that's really where Hope Made Strong was birthed out of. And I think, like you said, in the last five years, there's been a more of awareness specifically in the church to that. Yes. Mental health is a real thing and you can love Jesus and go to therapy at the same time. That's okay. And in probably really helpful. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so there's definitely much more acceptance. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, that's been my personal experience, but it certainly is what I've witnessed as well. Um, I guess I'm curious, why do you think the church has been slower to accept the whole narrative around mental illness and mental health, like getting help? Why is it that there's just been this resistance. And I, I, again, I don't, I don't mean it to bash the church. I love the church. Mm-hmm. I think we've made tremendous progress, but I personally think we've just, we're super slow to mm-hmm. adapt something that is actually really good for us. Any thoughts why that, why that is? You know, I think it really depends on the culture or the narrative of the community. Each yeah. denomination is different or each um, region might be different. So I connect with churches all over North America and some international. And so what the experience in the South is going to be different from, you know, Portland and Seattle to us here over on the East side of mm. the continent. And and so, but what is common is there a lack of information and maybe a mistrust of information. Interesting. And, and to be honest, you know, there was some pretty odd things that we believed back in the 80s, 70s, 80s and 90s, even perhaps, you oh, know, give me some give me some examples. <laughs> well, even just the sound, things like, you know, it goes beyond just mental health, like the things we believe, like there was people smoking in, you know, surgery rooms or <laughs> or, you know, or um, we had to re experience and a rebirth and people were mimicking the birth canal as adults to re be reborn to eliminate their trauma or right. you know or there was a time where people would you know surgically remove parts of the brain thinking that was the location of the the illness and so right. there is some really odd and bizarre things that um people subscribe to or was promoted as best practice. And so there was a mistrust rooted in there and Hmm. anything that diverts from maybe what, what is their teaching or their theology would also um, sow seeds of mistrust into psychology or science. And so I think it's taken some needs, it's taken some time and it's definitely coming along to see how, uh, how the practices or the modalities being used today, actually, they work. Some of them, I don't know all of them, but many of them work because they are aligned with scripture or because they are aligned with the principles in the word of God. Hmm. And so, um, so I think it's building, I think it's growing slowly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. What are some of those principles and scriptures 
that do align with the modalities of our, our day and age, because I know that, uh, well, some of our listeners, I would say maybe even a majority of our listeners, they get it. They understand the value of what we're talking about here. Yeah. But I also know that there's going to be some who are, um, maybe still on the fence, maybe still a little bit uncertain. And maybe they're like, yeah, Laura, I've heard somebody say this before as well, but I don't, I still don't really know if therapy from is for me, or if I really need to actually pursue mental health in a better way. Uh, what are some of the scriptural elements that undergird these processes? Mm -hmm. Right now, cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT is a gold standard or best practice in most therapy sessions. So mm. whether um, you're struggling with addiction or whether you're struggling with anxiety or ruminating thoughts or eating disorders or any um, behavioral health issues, cognitive behavioral therapy is at this point, pretty much the go-to modality or process or, or um, method of counseling that people use. And it is, I believe it's based on scripture. So cognitive behavioral therapy, the premise of it, or the basis is that um, your thoughts impact your emotions that impact your behavior. So the way you think is going to impact how you behave essentially. Right. And so um, people often go to therapy because they feel anxious or they feel depressed or they struggle with this behavior or that behavior, cutting or addiction or, or gambling or, or sexual issues. Like there, there's, there's a, there's a crisis or there's something that's pushing someone to go seek support. And, and so when you think about how you're th in the Bible, it talks about take every th thought captive or yeah. it talks about, you know, renewing your mind or it talks about, you know, um, as your thoughts are, so is your heart. I, I'm not very good. I don't know the scriptures <laughs> off by heart, but you, you get the point. You could probably Google it and find out exactly yeah. word for word and scripture and stuff and verse and, and chapter. And so really it's this concept, okay, if we can first start at how your thought process is, is it true? Is it honorable? Or is it, are you projecting into the future saying if, you know, like you have a crystal ball, oh, I'm going to fail at this, or I'm no good at that, or I'm a failure at everything because I'm not the greatest person at this one small thing. We mm. often have these distorted thoughts that aren't based on truth. They're based on feelings or they're based on assumptions. And so cognitive behavioral therapy really looks at your thoughts and determines, are they true? Are they, is that accurate? Is that, you know, is that, you know, an appropriate um, response? Like, do you really think that you're going to fail in your entire life because of this one issue? No, that's not, you're, you're, you're stretching that. So then if we change our thoughts, then that's going to make us feel better. And if we feel better, then we are going to behave better or mm. not better, but differently. Yeah. And so this is, this is cognitive behavioral therapy. This is what is used in most and many practices. And this is based in the word of God. And we see this in the story uh, most accurately in the story of Mary and Martha mm. and, you know, Martha was invited Jesus and the disciples to come to her house to have dinner, like excited, like, <laughs> come on over. I got lots of food. My house is ready. My house is clean. Toilets are cleaned. I come on over. And I I don't think I would be in that situation. I'd be like, oh my gosh, a leader is coming. No, thanks. We'll, we'll go to a restaurant. But she was excited about it and invited 
Jesus and his disciples to come over. And then it says that her, she became distracted in her thoughts. And then mm. that distraction and thoughts caused her to be anxious and her anxiety caused her to go and say, Jesus, are you going to reprimand my sister for not helping me? She <laughs> acted on those feelings. And so um, you can see how her thoughts, her distracted thoughts, and then her anxious feelings, and then her behavior was impacted. Wow. And Jesus does not reprimand her behavior. She goes to her thoughts. It's your thoughts. Mary's doing a good thing. We're not going to disturb Mary, but challenges her to rethink about what the situation is. And so I think this is a really cool example of how um, our thoughts are really, really powerful and how cognitive behavioral therapy uh, is a biblical principle. That's so cool. Yeah, I've, I've never heard it explained that way with that example, but I, I see what you did there and I like it. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about the, the mission with hope. Uh, sorry, let me get this right. Hope Made Strong yes. is um, you're obviously targeting the church and, and really trying to enhance people's mental health, you know, whether it means that the congregants are better served, the pastors are better served, or they're better equipped to serve their congregants. And um, I suppose all the in-betweens that would fall in those elements. What, what exactly are you trying to accomplish and what are you envisioning with a hope made strong? What, what would be the marker or the definer of success for you and what you guys are trying to accomplish? I love that. So it would be amazing if every church had an intentional ministry that supported their people without burning out the staff. Like mm. how incredible would that be where <laughs> the community would know that the, that church, the local church, the one right down the street is a safe place where they know that they can be loved. They know that they can belong and be a part of a community that's bigger than them, that, that achieves more together. They, they discover their purpose and that they have giftings and skills and they can contribute to a community and that there's hope that tomorrow can be better. And I think that is really what my passion is, is creating churches to have spaces where belonging, purpose, and hope flourish. Mm. Because that's what every person wants. It doesn't matter if you are an executive or someone who struggles struggles with homelessness, whether you're a mom or or you know a businessman who travels. Every single person at our core want to belong. To, yeah. a, some, to a community. We yeah. all want to have value and have purpose. And we all feel, and we all need to have hope so that we can continue forward. And so the church can't be all things to all people. We can't feed every single person or provide housing for every person or therapy. And so I think the church being a place of care is more than just casseroles and hospital visitation and prayer lines. I think mm -hmm. the church can be places of safe belonging to enrich people's purpose and lean into that and help people develop that purpose and to have hope. And so that's what I do at Hope Made Strong through the care ministry cohort is I lead uh, churches, small groups of 15 through a process of developing care ministries that are intentional, that are strategic, that align with their, their community needs and the strengths of their, the, the, of their community of like their leadership and their, and their volunteers and create these places of belonging, purpose, and hope for their community. And I just think that is so transformational for our communities. Yeah, that's amazing. And that that's why I wanted you on here, because um, you're really thinking a lot bigger than just serving the individual. Like you're thinking about how to impact the local church. And 
uh, to me, anything that strengthens the local church is a worthwhile endeavor. So I just, uh, I love it. I love the, the heart and the vision and all the ideas with it. I wanted to ask you a question, kind of just nested in the middle of, of what you just mentioned. So we talked about how, you know, Christians have been maybe historically a bit resistant to like mental health practices and whatever. Mm-hmm. So things are warming up and, uh, and people are warming up in general to the ideas, which is really good, really positive. I guess then there's this kind of this other side of it, which is that you have people, like you said, who are getting burnt out in church or whose mental illnesses or mental challenges are actually caused or inflicted by mm. the church or people in the church or experiences with the church. Um, I'm just curious, like, are you, or do you observe that in, in what you're working with as maybe as a starting point, I kind of have a second question, but I guess that's my first thing is like, um, what do people do then? What, like, are, should they still be looking for the care ministry at, at a church if they're, you know, if they're burnout or their mental injury was caused by it? Mm. Or what would, what would protocol ba- maybe be in that category? And the only reason I'm asking is just because we're sort of in the age of like deconstructionism. Mm-hmm. Um, spiritual abuse is a term that we're hearing a lot more often. And I, I think, um, maybe five years ago that would have sounded like a bit of a kooky question but (laughs) not today today, right like and certainly the direction things are going in um people seem to be getting hurt by the church and and i think i think there's an added complexity when that happens so what what should people do when they're in that Mm. situation when you're going through training uh to be a therapist or a counselor one of the things you learn is that the rapport or the the trust relationship between yourself and the client or is is more uh is not the trust relationship between the client and the person seeking support is more impactful than the actual clinical services provided hmm. that if you don't trust the person who is helping you if there's you know, you're, you're nervous or you're worried or you don't have the right vibe, right? That clinical rapport, that support relationship is more value or just as valuable as the actual clinical practices that you do. And so I would say that if you are struggling with trust with the church, then that might not be the place that you go to initially, that you Hmm. find healing with trusted relationships. Now, obviously, I don't want to push people away from the church because I think community can bring so much healing. And so when you are at a place where you feel, okay, I can enter into these physical spaces because sometimes even just the physical spaces make, you know, are are a trigger or turn off and and you just get, you know, the hair on the back of your neck goes up and things like that. So I, when you feel comfortable going into those spaces, then that's a really great opportunity to seek out community hmm. in, in a place of worship. Um, but if the purpose of seeking out a church is to find healing, then I think you need to first find a trusted relationship. And then when you feel that you have the confidence or you're strong enough or you're not triggered as often, then I would say, you know, finding a com- church or a community that supports that work is yeah. is as the point is when you're ready yeah 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 so so kind of find that place of safety first and then as you feel ready on a mental and emotional level try to plug into a community a local church or you know whatever that looks like in that mm-hmm. order well i think this is a really broad situation that i don't think this um answer is a one you know 
fits one size fits all kind of situation. But yeah. if walking into it, if you are seeking to find healing and support from spiritual abuse or from um, our church hurt, then um, I'm going to be honest, the church might not be the place for it. Maybe mm. it's with a counselor or a therapist, or maybe it's with an, a coach or a, a supporter in this other area. And then, you know, when you want to re-engage for community, to re-engage your faith or to, to connect with other believers in a church setting or in a church space, then that's what you go there for. Yeah. Um, I just think it's unfair to say, hey, the church is the only place where you can find healing and, yeah. and they hurt you. So now you have to go back into <laughs> yeah. that traumatic situation to find healing. Like that doesn't make sense. For so sure. I, right. So to find healing from church hurt, maybe you should connect with um, a therapist and a counselor outside of church. Okay. They could so, still be believers, but. Yeah, know. of course. Yeah. Of course. No, that, that makes it. Yeah. You don't want to re-traumatize yourself trying no. to heal from the trauma. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. So, okay. Let me ask you, um, if a care ministry is thriving, it's just working on all cylinders exactly the way it's supposed to paint us a little picture for what that looks like. Mm. Mm. I love that. So if a care ministry was thriving, then you would have a place of belonging, purpose, and hope. So the, every member or, you know, every member that comes in or every community uh, person comes in, everyone calls people different, whether it's members or congregants <laughs> or, you know, whoever, I don't know sure. what to call them. Um, <laughs> but it, every person that comes in feels like this is a safe place, um, that they have opportunities to connect and build trust, that there's, um, that when they identify a need that it's met with, um, without stigma, without judgment, mm. and that there's a community of a wraparound care that the pastor isn't the only one who can support people that you can tell the person sitting beside you and they know how to access care, or they, they are ready to lend an ear to support, uh, that if you're helping on the kids ministry, you can talk to your leader and they're able to care for you. I think so often we think that the pastor is the only person that can care for someone, the only person that can uh, provide support and and direction. And that's not true. Sometimes there, there's pastors out there that are phenomenal leaders, but terrible listeners. It's just yeah. true. <laughs> it's just true. And so um, to... Uh, to have a care ministry that's flourishing means that there's a culture of care throughout mm. the church, mm. not just programs of care. And that um, the language that people use and the graciousness that people use towards one another is that it's it's organic and that it, we don't have to sign up or go through certain hoops to access care, but that care is a cultural element of the church itself. I love that. Yeah, that that's really... That's really profound, actually. I think to envision the church where there's a culture of care, like it's just built into the fabric of how they function and how they treat each other as a default. I love that. I think that's pretty amazing. Let me ask you, um, and I don't know if this would be in the scope of what you're necessarily establishing within the churches, but I know you would have some insight regardless. What can churches do? Or, and I actually want to broaden this. What can people do in general to prevent burnout and to prevent some of these things like obviously there's certain mental illnesses where it's like there's a genetic factor and it's 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 no longer just like oh that person's making a choice or whatever like there's other factors at play 
But then there are things like, like to me, burnout is just one of the easiest things to prevent. It's so silly that it happens. And at the same time, it happens a lot to people that are incredibly competent and strong and knowledgeable on the subject. You mentioned as a social worker, having your own experience with mental illness. Um, so we know that like, it's not just the church that has these kinds of problems, which is why I want to broaden it a little bit and just ask like, what should people do to really look after their their mental health on a regular basis? Because um, I, I would imagine there's always going to be a need for care ministries, but it would be nice to also have a culture where people just regularly take care of themselves so that it at least mitigates maybe some of the demand or the stress for a ministry like that. What do those elements look like? Hmm. The definition that I use to talk about burnout is hopelessness, helplessness, and prolonged stress. It's like a Mm. recipe. If you have these three ingredients, then you are likely going to experience some sort of uh, symptoms of burnout, hopelessness, this feeling like it's never going to change. I'm stuck in this situation forever. This is mm. my lot in life. We can have this in our jobs. We can have this in our relationships. We can have this in many different areas of our life. The helplessness is feeling like I don't have control. I don't have say, I don't have the opportunity to change my, my, my experience. And this is ongoing. And then prolonged stress, that pressure or that intensity that we are all familiar with, whether it's financial, relationships, or physical, there's an intense pressure when it comes with prolonged or ongoing long-term stress. And when you have hopelessness and helplessness and stress for a long period of time, then you are going to, you are uh, a target or primed for burnout. Hmm. And so I encourage people to look at their lives or their situations where they feel burnt out. You're burnt, whether it's in school, whether it's in work, whether it's in your relationships, and try to relieve one of these three areas. How can you create opportunities where you feel like you have more control? How do can you create mm. boundaries where you feel like this isn't an ongoing, you know, situation where there's periods of rest, there's periods of refreshment, there's periods of um, re- restoration. And, and this is what I encourage for people with burnout, um, trying to look at that. And if you are a leader of a team, look at your teams. Are you creating opportunities where people have a say? Are you creating uh, rhythms of rest and rhythms of production in, in your teams? Uh, mm. And, and are there moments of, you know, we can't get away from those moments of high stress, but do you have those opportunities where stress is like lowered and people can find um, reprieve? And so, so that's what I encourage people for burnout. Um, but then there's this idea of resiliency and resiliency is kind of the building blocks or the foundations that gives people a strong base so that they can prevent burnout or prevention of mental health struggles. Cause we all mm. struggle. We all have those moments of anxiety. We all have those moments of sadness or overwhelm. And so mental health isn't, doesn't have to be something to be um, ashamed of or fearful of. There's always these moments, but if you have a foundation of resiliency, then this prevents you from getting stuck as long. And it prevents you from going too deep. It prevents you from being able to, or it allows you to bounce forward forward much more quickly rather than kind of getting stuck and wallowing in these in these moments or these seasons of hardship okay got it so if if you compare two people side by side one has resiliency and one doesn't they could both experience the same event and even have similar responses at an emotional level but the person with resilience is able to to bounce back is that kind of the the defining factor 
yeah, they, they have the capacity or they have the strength to um, not be overcome or to get stuck. So they're able to, yeah, bounce forward, bounce back, um, um, you know, circle around and, and figure it out much more quickly. Yeah. Um, and there's seven keys, seven ways to develop resilience. I don't know if you want to go through all seven. Oh, That's a yeah. Lot. There's a we, lot there. Well, let, maybe, maybe give us all seven and then, and then let's see if we can pick one or two that to double down oh, because and here, here's why maybe before, before we go into it, um, I really like this point. I just think, um, the way you explain burnout, I'm like, that is every person who's ever had a porn addiction. Yeah. They feel yeah. hopeless. They feel like they're never going to get out. They feel helpless because they've tried a bunch of stuff. It didn't work. So it feels like there's no opportunity out there to change their situation. And they've had prolonged stress, right? It, usually like people mm -hmm. that are listening to this have struggled for probably minimum 10 years for the most part. And a lot of them a lot longer. So I, I just think even though I know we're talking about it in a burnout context uh, where maybe it happens through career or, you know, working at the church, whether that's voluntary or vocational. Um, this resilience thing, I think, is, actually has tons of implications for our audience. So I would love to hear the, the seven ways to build <laughs> resilience if you're okay with it. And then yeah, maybe we'll absolutely. pick one or two and double down on them. Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to go them pretty quick. And then you just star which one you want to talk about more. Okay. So the first one is knowing who you are. And, and the Christian spin on this is knowing whose you are and the gifts that mm. you, you are and the, what God has created you to be. So when we first started um, our call and started recording, we were talking about a microphone and I was like, ah, this is my husband's thing. This is not who I am. If <laughs> I, and I know that I am not the tech person. And so if I didn't know that if I wasn't aware of that, I would have become so negative about myself that I'm stupid. I'm not good enough because I don't know this. Well, that's not who I am. This is not how I'm built. And so knowing who you are allows you to uh, focus on what you're good at rather than saying I'm bad at everything or mm. um, allows you to say, you know what? this is an area of weakness for me. No wonder I'm struggling or no wonder I'm anxious about this upcoming event. This is not, not what I'm good at. And so it gives yeah. you some validation about what you're facing. Okay. Love it. The second one is meditation. Uh, meditation is the, uh, what it is. It, it is a skill just like, you know, oh gosh, I was about to say cooking or running, but I don't know if you got <laughs> So what meditation is, is the ability to control your thoughts. So your thoughts don't run away from you, essentially. Mm. And it's kind of like changing the channel. I'm a Gen Xer. So to me, I think of a remote or it's, you <laughs> know, knob. or a knob. I was going to say when I was a kid, I was the remote control. I was the channel changer where go up and change the channel. You had to physically go and do something and change the channel. And so when your thoughts are ruminating and running away from you, the ability to change your focus or move your focus from this train of thought to the next is a skill. And meditation is like the exercise that builds that skill. Hmm. And so being able to have mindfulness in by practicing meditation is a huge benefit to strengthening your resilience. Okay, good. Like it. The, ne the next one is staying connected. Oh my goodness. How many times when we struggle, do we isolate ourselves? We don't go out with hmm. the friends. We just, you know, we, 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 
you know, cancel our plans. We don't become vulnerable with people who we trust. And we just, you know, we put on a good face, but on the outside, but on the inside, we are completely isolating. And so having a connected community that you are staying open and vulnerable with is a way to build resiliency. You become more resilient when people can call you out and that you're vulnerable with a group. And I think this is a really great example of why your program works so well is because you have accountability and you become connected to a community that you Hmm. trust and can be vulnerable with. And that is a safe, it keeps you um, safer or it provides a stronger foundation so that you can bounce back because you have a community that will, that will support guide and call you out all at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Good. I love it. Uh, the next one is self-care. Uh, this people just roll their eyes and I'm not talking about, you know, going golfing and going to spin class and eating, drinking green smoothies. (laughs) Self-care literally is just do tending to your well-being. It's eat, sleep, and move. Let's just get the, to the mm. basics. It yeah. is not the luxuries. Right. It's eat, sleep, move. It's are you sleeping appropriately? Are you eating appropriately? And are you moving appropriately? Yeah. These are the basics of self-care. And so that's, if you don't have those regular rhythms, then you're going to be struggling. Anyone who's had kids know that if they're hungry and they're tired and they're restless, they are <laughs> cranky. And I think we're just big kids, right? Yeah. And so by having these appropriate rhythms in your life, we are in a much better position to face um, hardships. Good. Yeah, that one's huge. I'll, I'll just say really quick. One thing that's important for people to that are listening is just to remember as well that like um, in this day and age, we have to like fight for these things, mm-hmm. right? Like movement's a great example. You and I are sitting in our nice cushy home offices. Well, I don't know. I don't know if you're at home, but I'm at home. I'm Yours at looks home. Like a, yeah. Okay. Um, and so like, you know, we sit at our desk all day. Uh, we just, we don't move the way we, we used to. And so, um, so these, these are things that not just would have been a normal part of life. 50 years ago, even the food, right? The food is super processed mm-hmm. now, generally speaking, and you just have to be a little bit more careful with those things. So uh, yeah. what you're mentioning is is huge. Um, really good. Let, let's keep going here. Number five. Okay. Number five is boundaries, being able to say yes mm. and no, knowing what's within your control um, and not taking, trying to take over control where it's not your problem. Mm. Uh, boundaries, we often think are really hard and rigid, but remember if there's a fence around your property, there's probably a gate. And so there are <laughs> things that can come in and out of your life, but they need to go through the appropriate gate. So not everything needs to be your issue, but you can open that door when it needs to be opened. But there is a, there's a line of what you can say yes and what you can say no to and being okay with that. Um, if you accept everyone and you get offended on other people's behalf or, or if you become overwhelmed with the drama at this, that, or, you know, at work or, or with your in-laws or whatever it's, then you, you, it becomes burdensome. It adds on that stress and, and having boundaries of knowing what's within your control and without is a really great way to build resilience. Okay. Very good. Number six. Six is rest. We all need it. It's just basic. And it's not just rest of sleeping because that was in self-care. This is spiritual rest. This is physical, mental, emotional. And I'm sure there's another one that I'm missing. Um, uh, 
thoughts spiritual most social social, that yeah maybe that was it but anyway rest in many different areas or life all the introverts are saying amen right now because they're like yes i need more rest in this social (laughs) life but it's just knowing how much rest you need and being okay to have that we don't want to go into situations exhausted or overwhelmed emotionally uh, socially or, you know, spiritually, we want to have the peace and rest. And this is for specifically for, um, uh, maybe a ministry or clergy people who need to be on all the time. It is mm. helpful to have us that sa- sa- the Sabbath or maybe even sabbatical to find the rest spiritually. So good. All right. And last but not least, have fun. Mm. <laughs> the last one is having fun. You know, it's just so helpful to have hobbies and things that bring you joy and food and laughter. And if you think back to a time in your life when you were overwhelmed or you were really struggling, there was probably very little fun. And Mm. so by keeping up with those things that are fun for you, um, it's really, it can help you not fall as deep or get stuck and overwhelmed in situations. For me, I know it's a red flag. If I miss Thursday night girls night, it could be, I don't know, we could be going for a walk. We can be doing book club. I don't know what we're doing, but if I miss out on my Thursday, that's a red flag saying I'm isolating and I don't have enough fun in my life. And so Mm. it's really important to have fun and lightheartedness in your, in your life so that when you come across challenging situations that um, you are you are starting off from a place that is renewed and refreshed. Yeah, it's interesting. I look at this, listen, and one of the things that's very obvious to me is that resilience does not build itself. Mm. Like there's so much intentionality required to do any of these things. And that, of course, is I suppose that's why they build resilience. Right. <laughs> but it's um, it, this is a really, really powerful list you have here. I'm so glad we got to this. Mm-hmm. The one thing I want to ask you a little bit more about is boundaries. Um, and I guess one of the main reasons is because when we work with clients and we start to dig into some of the relationship dynamics they had growing up, some of the the dysfunction or some of the distressing parts of their current life that are contributing to their addiction, a lot of it comes back to boundaries or people pleasing, not able to say no, not able to really fend for yourself. And I'm just wondering if you can talk to someone who's like, oh, boundaries is not like a cement wall. It's a fence with a (laughs) gate. Like uh, just expand on that. And I'm, I guess I'm wondering like if, if somebody was, was in a one-on-one session with you when you were a social worker and you needed to somehow give them permission to say no. How would you do that in a, in a minute or two? <laughs> oh. So saying no is really about what you're saying yes to. So if mm-hmm. you are a person, you only have so much time. It's a finite amount of time. It's a finite amount of energy. And so every time you say yes to someone, you are saying no to something else. And usually it's ourselves. We're saying no to the self-care. We're saying no to the rest. We're saying no to, you know, having sleep or eating food. And so um, when I encourage people to say is rather than saying the word no, because it's really hard to say no, say Yes. Say, actually, I've already said yes to X, Y, Z. If you are in a meeting and they want you to stay late or if someone is, I talk to caregivers or people who are offering support. 
So if someone's like, Hey, I just need five, you know, I just need to talk to you after church, or I need to talk to you go, you know, do you have time tomorrow night? You say, actually, I already said yes to my family that we are going to be having a family games night or, or I already said yes, or I made an agreement to, or I'm accountable to my group to prioritize self-care. So this is a time, you know, tell people what you're saying. Yes. to. Now that's not a justification. If you say, I already have an appointment booked at that time, that's not divulging what you're saying, right? I'm not telling people to tell all your secrets or your agenda, but to tell people what that you, you are unable to say yes to that because you've already said yes to something else Mm -hmm. is a really powerful way to, um, resist the urge to people, please. And almost every time someone's like, Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's very important for sure. When you have time or let's think of another time. And so it's really just switching around and telling people what to say yes to. Um, And, you know, from the faith perspective, I think there is an opportunity to be, um, to be led or to know, okay, this is a connection that is, I need to, can, I need to do. And, and, and it's hard to distinguish between the feeling of needing to be needed or to people please versus, okay, this is really important, but practicing that meditation. Okay. What is my feelings versus what is, um, an important or urgent issue that I need to attend is really valuable. And because there's those gates, like I said, that it doesn't mean you have to block out life. It doesn't mean, oh, you know, I'm only going to have the people that fuel me in my life. Cause I think there was that, that time, or maybe hopefully it's gone where it's like, if you're not serving me, then I am going to block you out. And if you're needing from me, I'm not going to have you in my life. And I don't think that's community. We Mm. all need to give and take in relationships. There's always Mm. needs to be, you know, we ask other people to support us. So we need to be there to support other people. There's always going to be that give and take. And that's the gate. It's like, when is it an appropriate time for me to give? And when is it appropriate time for me to have those boundaries? And I think it's, it's a tricky balance. It's adulting 101 hard, (laughs) like it's difficult, (laughs) but it's, it's knowing that it's okay to have boundaries because there are moments where you're going to open the gate and it just, it, it just doesn't have to be every moment. Oh yeah, that is that's fantastic, Laura. I think that was worth it for the the interview right there. <laughs> uh, super valuable and really needed because in our day and age, like we've never had more opportunity, right? And so um, that ability to say no and just the reasons behind it, how to do it, that was really that was beautiful, very helpful awesome. uh, for people that are listening that are maybe like, okay. Uh, I run a church or maybe I run a group in a church. I have my own ministry and, you know, Laura, I would like to know more about what you do. Uh, I know you guys do uh, uh, an annual thing with Mental Health Sunday. I'd love for you to talk about that and just other ways that people could plug in with you and what you're doing. Yeah. I have a podcast called the care ministry podcast. So if you are a leader who are interested specifically in how to care for others without burning out as a leader, you can check that out. Um, Hope Made Strong is kind of homemadestrong.org is the umbrella where everything is under and mental health Sunday is a free resource that if you want to make mental health more of a, we talk about it more than, than maybe just like on a small group on a Wednesday evening in the back hall, if you're recognizing, okay, my community is struggling with this, but I'm just not sure how to bring this up on a Sunday that is hopeful. And that resonates with so many with, with people, we actually have a, um, 
a toolkit called Mental Health Sunday, and it's free for you to be able to use. And it gives you everything that you need, your socials, your communications, the giveaways, the sermon notes, the, there's so many different things on it. And actually 2022's, uh, theme was resilience. And so these Hmm. seven keys are talked about it it, within it. And there's a seven day devotional for each one of these keys, because we all can experience, we can all grow in resilience. This is a common feature and what resiliency does, it prevents us from struggling. And so this is why we talk about um, building resilience in 2020s church mental um, not church mental health, mental health Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, we'll put links to all of that in the show notes. In the meantime, Laura, thank you for what you're doing and uh, just for your love for the local church and for everything you shared today here. Um, this was fantastic. So thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, I'm so grateful for Laura and the work she does. And I really, I learned a ton from uh, some of her answers there, especially when we were talking about resiliency. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. And I really do want to encourage you, you know, if you're struggling with any kind of sexual misbehavior, you probably qualify for what we were talking about. It's pretty likely that you've experienced burnout, the hopelessness, helplessness, and the, the chronic fatigue that comes from struggling all that time. And so um, so even if you just pick one of those seven to to grow on and to build in your life, you will experience a notable change. I can guarantee that. And so uh, really grateful. We put links to all the show notes if you want to check out her, uh, sorry, we put links to everything in the show notes, her podcast, uh, her website, and Mental Health Sunday. If you are leading the local church, I implore you, please go check out her resources. They will help you tremendously. And if you uh, maybe heard what we were talking about and you thought, you know, Sathya, I need I I realize just how badly I need a solution to finally get free of porn addiction. Uh, That's what we're all about. Our specialty is helping guys get rid of the root issues of their porn addiction in their lives. And what I would love for you to do is to book a time with our team. Uh, We'll sit down with you, understand your situation better, and then see if we can help you. And you can do all that just through the link in the show notes, or you can do it at sathiasam.com. But we would love to help you. Uh, Link is in the show notes. And we do set aside time every week to speak with people like you specifically that listen to our podcast. So um, I can guarantee you there will be a time there. And uh, we actually can't always say that. We we are booking up pretty far in advance these days. So links in the show notes there, guys. Uh, In the meantime, have an amazing day. We'll talk soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. It's Sathya again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance, and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. 
I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Cynthia Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.